0: I can remember my first significant experience of conflict in a church. I was in my early 20s and there was a pretty big conflict between some leaders in my church. I was relatively involved in the situation. I was on the board, which is kind of a mixture of elders and committee of management. It was a distressing time, lots of long, difficult meetings. It was hard to see a way forward, hard to see who was right or wrong. Our church had loads of young adults in it, and for most of my brothers and sisters in that church, this was pretty difficult for most of us. For most of us, it was the first time we'd experienced significant conflict in church, a conflict that wasn't really reconciled, a conflict that was solved by people leaving. Many of us young Christians were left bewildered. Surely this kind of thing doesn't happen with Christian. Isn't the gospel the message of reconciliation? Isn't the gospel about forgiveness and grace? For some of us, talk of conflict brings up our own difficult memories. For others, you're shaking your head at the naivety of youth. For too many, church is synonymous with conflict, with power plays and people, especially leaders, behaving badly. Today we're getting back into the book of Acts. Last year we spent two terms in the first 15 chapters. We saw God's gospel going from Jerusalem to Judea into Samaria and then to non-Jewish, to Gentile people. And where we left things last year, there was a problem, a disagreement over how Gentiles were to be brought into God's people. Do you need to become Jewish to be saved? Do you need to get circumcised to be saved? And we saw how that problem was solved as the leaders of the church got together. What we're going to see today is we're going to see God's mission going forward. Acts is the story of what Jesus continued to do after his resurrection and ascension through the Spirit and through his people. We're going to see the mission go forward even through moments of conflict. Uh, One event of actual conflict, the other of conflict avoided. Uh, These events, as you're reading the book of Acts, they're they're events you might want to skip over. You might want to go, come on, let's get to the good stuff where there's thousands and thousands of people converted. But God has recorded these events for us because they teach us about ordinary ministry, the ordinary Christian life, which is nothing but ordinary because it's empowered by the spirit of Jesus. So we're getting back into Acts after that that momentous decision of Acts chapter 15. The apostles and leaders of churches from all around the place came to Jerusalem to sort out the false teaching, the false teaching about the Gentiles and forcing them to get circumcised, false teaching that cuts to the heart of the good news of Jesus. And this group of Christian leaders sent Paul and Barnabas, along with Judas and Silas, and they gave them the job to travel to a bunch of churches and tell them the answer that their assembly came up with. The answer was, you don't have to get circumcised to be one of God's people. And they get to Antioch, one of the leading cities of the Roman Empire, and also home of a large missionary-sending Gentile-majority church. So they get to Antioch. But after a little while, Barnabas gets itchy feet. He wants to hit the road again. He wants to go back into Galatia to see how the churches are going. I reckon he's wondering whether the letter, the letter to the Galatians, whether it's done the job. Are the Christians holding fast to the gospel and their freedom in the spirit? That's what Barnabas wants to do, but there's a problem. Not with the plan, Uh, but with the personnel. Barnabas wants to bring his cousin, John, Mark. Uh, Paul doesn't think it's a very good idea. So let's have a look. Verse 36, this is Acts 15, 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Now you can read the backstory of Mark and the desertion in Acts chapter 13. Uh, The three of them had travelled to southern Galatia. Uh, They were evangelising and planting churches. But when they were in Pamphylia, Mark decides to go home. In Acts 13, you barely notice this event, but clearly it was a big deal for Paul. Mark was flaky. You can't rely on him. And so he thinks, oh, look, if we bring him, it's just going to happen again. But Barnabas disagrees. He thinks, Mark has matured and maybe he's worth another shot. Neither of them can convince the other they can't come to an agreement, so they each stick to their guns and go their separate way. Verse 13, sorry, verse 39. Uh, They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, he went through uh, Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Uh, This does not sound like a peaceful arrangement. It doesn't sound like they left on good terms. I reckon they each took this disagreement to heart. And that's what's heartbreaking about this kind of conflict. I wonder as you hear this story, are you trying to work out who was in the right? Often when there's a disagreement, that's what we want to know. Who, who's the goody, who's the badie? Now, verse 40 does sound like the church in Antioch sides with Paul. The believers commended Paul and Silas. We, we don't know if they did the same with Barnabas and Mark. But even with that, it's not clear who is in the right. And I think this is on purpose. In conflicts like this, where there's a difference of opinion... Can John Mark be relied upon or not? Often there's not an obvious right answer. Only time will tell. And this means when things get heated, often both parties have contributed to the conflict. There's no one totally in the right. I want to mention this book. This is a great book. It's by a bloke called Ken Sandy. It's called uh The Peacemaker. It's a great book on dealing with conflict. He's also got he's got lots of books, but he's got a much shorter book called Resolving Everyday Conflict, and there might be a copy of that on the bookshelves over at Crown Road from back when we did the course five years ago or something. It was a long time ago. Uh, Ken Sandy points out there are four main causes of conflict, four kind of categories, four reasons that we find ourselves in conflict. I'll put them up on the screen. Uh, one Poor communication. Uh, Two, differences in values, goals, gifts, callings, priorities, expectations, interests or opinions. Three, uh, competition over limited resources. Four, sinful habits and attitudes that lead to sinful works and actions. Now these four aren't really isolated, they're not separated. A conflict can have multiple elements. Uh, The disagreement between Paul and Barnabas really fits into the second category, doesn't it? They've got a difference of opinion over John Mark. It may also have had parts of category one. Maybe they didn't communicate well. That's, that's a pretty common cause for conflict, isn't it? I reckon these four categories are really good. They help us to see some things. For example, those first two, the first two types of conflict, they're not really because of sinfulness. They're because of the limitations of being human. Neither Paul nor Barnabas can read Mark's mind. They don't know his heart. They also don't know the future and how their decision will pan out. It's not sinful to not know everything. It is not sinful to not know everything. Only God knows everything. However, the bottom two categories fall more into the kind of the sinful causes for conflict. Category three, I want what you've got. Or I'm greedy and I refuse to share what I've got, forgetting that everything I have is a gift from God. That can cause conflict. Or number four, for example, I've got no control over my tongue. I gossip and slander. Strangely enough, that's going to cause conflict. I reckon these four categories are helpful. Not all conflict is because of sin. Most likely, that initial disagreement over Mark wasn't because of any sinfulness in Paul or Barnabas. But the way the conflict was handled, the word sharp disagreement sounds like it wasn't handled well. It sounds to me like Paul and Barnabas did not behave well in the conflict. And as an aside, this is one of those things that shows the truthfulness of the Bible. If you were going to make up a story about the earliest Christians, you'd make sure Paul comes out looking squeaky clean. But Luke records history as it is, warts and all. And there are plenty of warts on all of us, aren't there? But back to the passage. I don't think this is an example of dealing with conflict well. One of the things I love about the Peacemaker book Ken raises an astounding idea. Conflict is an opportunity to glorify God. Conflict is an opportunity to glorify God. The reason we have conflict may be because of sin, it may be because of human limits and not because of sin, but all conflict, like everything in the Christian life, even conflict is an opportunity to glorify God, to show the difference Jesus makes, to put humility, patience, gentleness, forgiveness into action. All these virtues that come from Jesus what Jesus shows us on the cross, willingly taking the punishment we deserve into himself, dying for his enemies, times of conflict are an opportunity to glorify God as we display these virtues. Now you could argue that in this situation, going their separate ways was actually the most glorifying decision, glorifying to God decision they could land at. But as they go their separate ways, well, they don't slander each other, is there? They leave each other to do what they think is best. And I think that's part of the reason Luke doesn't go into the gory details. It's why we can't tell who's in the right, because there's no slandering, no putting each other down. God is also glorified in this conflict because even though it may not have been resolved then, they couldn't come to the same mind on the particular topic, we see in some of the letters Paul wrote years later, things end up being reconciled. In Colossians, Mark is mentioned as a co-worker and a comfort to Paul. Have a listen, it's up on the screen, Colossians 4, my fellow prisoner uh, Arstarchus Aristarchus? Aristarchus, I practiced that and I got it wrong. Aristarchus sends you his greetings as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. It's the same bloke. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God and they have proved a comfort to me. And in 2 Timothy 4 he says, get Mark. And bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. A couple of years later, Mark is a comfort. Mark is helpful. Now maybe Mark matured lots during his travels with Barnabas. Maybe Paul had to eat some humble pie. That's not important, What is important is they have been reconciled. Somehow, over the years, they've got together, they've talked about it, they've made apologies, they've asked and offered forgiveness. This disagreement has been dealt with to the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, reading of this sharp disagreement might be difficult for us. Maybe it brings to mind someone you have had Conflict with. Uh, maybe someone you haven't spoken to for months or years. You've gone your separate ways. Maybe you're at the sharp point at the moment in the heat of the disagreement and you're refusing to budge. Is there someone you owe an apology to? Is there someone you need to offer forgiveness to? Maybe the situation is very difficult, it feels intractable. Do you need help? A wise Christian brother or sister to give counsel, to mediate. They could help with reconciliation. Maybe if things are really stuck... They could offer to find a solution to resolve the deadlock. Not dealing with co- conflict. Sometimes we think that's the on-rule thing, isn't it? Oh, I'm just not going to ever talk to them again. I'm just going to run away. Uh, not dealing with conflict. All that does is builds up anger and resentment. As, as, as Ephesians 4 says, it, that gives the devil an opportunity. But dealing with conflict well, and that can mean asking for help, dealing with conflict well is an opportunity to glorify God. Well, with Paul and Barnabas going their separate ways... Paul partners with Silas, uh, one of the believers from Jerusalem, and they head to southern Galatia, the places where Paul and Barnabas had visited in Acts chapter fourteen, and there another bloke joins the mission team. So this is verse one. We're getting into Acts sixteen now. Acts sixteen one. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewish uh who was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Uh, Timothy seems to have been a Christian for some time. Maybe he was converted during Paul and Barnabas's previous visit. Uh, maybe he was converted through the evangelism of the local church there in Lystra. Timothy is a godly young man. The church supports and endorses his joining Paul and Silas. Uh, just another little aside, Christianity is not a solo game. We don't run off and do our own things. Paul and Silas, they had the support of the church in Antioch. Even Paul has the support of the church in Antioch. Timothy has the support of the church in Lystra. It doesn't matter how passionate you are, how much you believe God's called you to a certain ministry or mission. We are called to be God's people together, to do ministry and mission together. And if your church doesn't get on board, doesn't support your endeavours with Jesus, for Jesus, look, it might be that your church is faithless and disobedient, but I'd be slow to come to that conclusion. All right, back to what's happened. Uh, Timothy joins the, the team with full support of his church. He's a godly, faithful, teachable young bloke. But there's a dilemma. He's ethnically Jewish, at least on his mother's side, but he's not circumcised. And why is this a problem? Well, why is it a problem? We know Paul, he's really clear on circumcision. It is of no spiritual value, has no bearing on your standing with God or your welcome into God's people. Last term, we looked at Galatians, Galatians 6.15. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Or, this is even stronger, Galatians 5 verse 2, Mark my words. Paul says, listen up. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. But listen to what Paul does with Timothy, verse 3. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. All right, come on, Paul, what's going on? I thought circumcision meant nothing. More than that, that if you let yourself get circumcised, Christ means nothing to you anymore. It makes you a slave to the law is Paul being a hypocrite? Was he bold with the Galatians but a wuss here? Is there a contradiction in the Bible showing it's not God's word? What's going on, Paul? Well, it's neither of these. Uh, the difference between Acts 16 and Acts 15, or the difference between Timothy and Galatia, though Timothy actually from Galatia, is that Timothy isn't getting circumcised to fit into the church. In fact, he hasn't been circumcised all this time, has he? He's not getting circumcised to fit into the church. He isn't being forced to be circumcised because he thinks, if he doesn't, that he's going to be outside of God's people, that he needs to do it in order to be saved. No, the Jews that they're thinking about aren't those who trust in Jesus. It's not the Jews that are part of the church. It's the non-believing Jews. It's those they're wanting to reach with the gospel On their mission. And the issue is they know Timothy. They know his mum is Jewish and his dad's a Gentile. And because of this, the Jews who haven't trusted in Jesus, they're not going to have a bar of Timothy. Because he's not circumcised. They won't talk with him. They won't let him into their synagogue. They won't sit down or listen to him. Spiritually, it does not matter one iota if a bit of skin is cut off. Doesn't matter. And so Paul is cutting off a cause of conflict and offence, to open a door for mission. This is an example of Paul putting into practice what he'll later write to the Corinthians. I'll put it up on the screen. Though I am am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. Uh, To the weak, I became weak. Sorry, to those not under the law. Sorry, not having the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all people. So that by all possible means I might save some. Timothy came under the law, the law of circumcision, circumcision, to win those under the law. What about us? How do you make yourself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible? I think we fail to see this. Sometimes we even fail to realise this is a question for us because we think we don't have a culture. There are people out there, they're they're the people with culture, we're just normal, we're just us. But missionaries, people who cross cultures to do mission, they realise that they have a culture and that the people they're trying to reach have a culture and often they have to make changes to avoid unnecessary offence. If you're going to a Muslim-majority country, uh, men, would you be willing to grow a beard? Maybe that's not such a hard one. Maybe it is, depending on... It would be for me. Uh, Or ladies, would you be willing to wear a headscarf? Become vegetarian to build relationships that God might save Buddhists. You think about those things, I don't think there's anything we would be asked to do that is as big and as significant as circumcision without (laughs) anaesthetic. But we are often so welded to our preferences, we're unwilling to give something up so others might hear the gospel of Jesus and grow in him. And too often it's these preferences, and holding on to them as if they're the gospel itself, our preferences cause the kind of conflict we saw at the start. It's an often repeated comment. People make it as a joke, but it's only a joke because it's true. The biggest cause of conflict in churches is the colour of the carpet. Rarely are disagreements over the gospel or theology and doctrine. Most conflict is over preferences and personality. If we aren't willing to put aside our preferences to love one another in Christ, what chance do we have to become all things for all people so they might be saved? the way we do or don't deal with conflict is a great opportunity for Christians to stand out in our world. We live in a world fractured by conflict, by people unwilling to give up their preferences for the sake of someone else, by, by people being unwilling to have the kind of hard conversations it's, it's easier to run away than to talk. But when we do, when we do have those hard conversations, when we apologise for when we've held our preferences as if they're the gospel, when we haven't recognised it's, oh, it's just a difference of opinion. And I'm not God, I don't know the, the right answer, I just think I know, you know what I think is wise, but I don't know if it's absolutely right. But when we do actually engage in times of conflict, maybe we'll discover that the John Marks will become a comfort and a help to us. Relationships better and stronger because we've done the hard work. How do we learn to hold our preferences lightly? How can we have what we need to have to actually address conflict? It comes from knowing Christ in the gospel, knowing that I am a sinner. That gives me humility when I've made a mistake. When I've made a mistake of of judgment, when I've turned a difference of opinion into a dispute, when I've held too tightly to a personal preference, the message of the Bible reveals my heart for what it is. So what's the point of pretending that I'm sinless when I know I'm a sinner? What's the point of pretending that I'm better than I am? The gospel now gives us the humility to apologize when we've made a mistake. The gospel of Jesus is also a message of forgiveness. Christ forgives sinners. And if I've been forgiven, then I can give the same forgiveness to others. We've all heard about churches ripped apart by conflict. Imagine how different, how churches would shine if we were willing to put aside our preferences to bring a resolution to a conflict and I'm going to be clear it's about preferences we're not talking about putting aside the truth that's what we hold firm to if that's what breaks things apart it's worth it as hard and as sad as it is but imagine how being willing to just not get our way it doesn't matter really what colour the carpet is how would that make the gospel of Jesus attractive Christ has poured out his spirit we've been empowered for mission and to do relationships differently There will be conflict between Christians and in churches. It's naive to expect otherwise, because we're all human. Even if somehow we became sinless, which God hasn't promised, but just because we're human, we're going to have differences of opinion. But the Lord Jesus has given us the resources we need to address conflict, to give up our preferences, to admit when we're wrong, and to forgive when we are wronged. Let's pray. Loving Father, Please be powerfully at work with us and in us by your spirit. Help us to not be shocked by disagreements, but strengthen us to be people who glorify you in the way we respond to conflict. Help us be quick to have conversations, to admit when we've been wrong, to forgive those who've wronged us. Help us hold firm to the truth of Jesus and hold loosely to our preferences. And may doing this shine brightly in our community. Help us be all things for all people, that people might hear the good news of Jesus and in your mercy be saved. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.